So I was trying to think about what might be um, helpful to offer as thoughts um, tonight when uh, when they first uh, mentioned coming here. And so I always kind of draw on my own practice, you know, what's up for me and, and uh, what I have found helpful. Different new ways, so, so I'm, I tend to be very playful and creative <laughs> with my own practice, you know, try to um, understand what the Buddha is saying from uh, really uh, trying out different things, you know, coming at it uh, with some um, some interest and creativity. So a lot of my thoughts tonight are going to come out of, you know, my own uh, uh, practice in that sense. Uh, but I wanted to talk about the joy in practice, you know, the, the, the good feelings, <laughs> you know, because, I mean, they can get lost a little bit in the shuffle. Uh, I mean, this is Theravada Buddhism, after all, right? You know, and, and you sort of can, it can uh, take on this kind of gloomy, heavy posture. And uh, I think, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, some of it has to do with the practice of, you know, the the primary teaching of Buddhism being the Four Noble Truths and the First Noble Truth. You know, there is difficulty, <laughs> there is suffering, and there is a great emphasis on this as a teaching. Uh, mostly, I think, as a as a balancing agent, you know, not not to mention the insight that comes with it, but that we don't get it. You know, there's a there's a there needs to be uh, a tuning into it because there's so much pain associated with trying to make life be some way other than that. <laughs> you know, so this whole uh, layer that we add on to our experience of difficulty is actually lightened tremendously when we get the truth of it. You know, it's like, oh, it's, oh, it's like this. You know, it's like, oh, I get it. You know, and so you can, you can actually feel this um, settling down that, that happens as a result of that. But I think it, it, it has its, uh, you know, emphasizing that so much can have its downside. Um, we, can, we can go overboard with looking at difficulty in our lives, you know, just gloomy, heavy feeling. Uh, or um, maybe it's just that we misunderstand what he's actually saying in that teaching and don't, don't, aren't going about it in the right way. I, I'm not quite sure, but I think that many of us are really guilty of um, developing the bad habit of only looking at what's wrong what's off and what's difficult and what's hard in life. And, you know, so this is kind of an appeal and an encouragement to, to begin to, to, you know, enhance the tendency or the capacity to look at what's good, you know, if we don't notice the good. If we don't notice happy moments in our lives, then it, we're really at great risk you know, for getting uh, very hard and tight and contracted minds. And yet one of the main things that we need to be able to wake up, you know, is, is softness, you know. It's got to be this, like this soft and malleability in the heart and in the mind to uh, receive life with some gentleness and some kindness, some softness. And where that comes from, I have found, is actually in sort of beginning to train myself to just, you know, you know, just get, stop looking at all the junk, you know, and, and just try to turn the attention even just a little bit, even just occasionally towards uh, things that one is doing well, thing, happy moments, uh, things that are occurring quite naturally in our lives. And this is very, very important, uh, and I think it has its basis in the Buddhist teachings too, because he said very clearly that um, po- uh, the process of waking up has a lot to do with, yes, um, seeing the difficulty. 
and uh, refraining, restraining ourselves from doing harm, from being caught up in harm. But there's a whole other half of it, you know, and it has to do with recognizing um, goodness, recognizing our innate and natural goodness and that of others, and recognizing happy moments in, in lives. And actually letting that is like, I, you know, I, I have to say I tend to be a greedy type, so I want to uh, qualify this at first, but um, uh, I, I like to take moments that feel good and right and linger there, <laughs> you know, just kind of like soak it up a little bit, let it, let it fill your being so that the heart registers that there, there is this too, you know, th- this is part of life as well. Um, and, and that it brings a lightness and a happiness to the being. So, you know, I've pl- as I said, I've played with this a lot and um, seen it in a, in a couple of ways, working with it in a couple of ways. And um, one is that, um, and this may, may come a little bit as a surprise, but I think it's really important to, um, I guess in a way it's kind of like take time to smell the roses, you know, like or notice, take time and develop the habit in our lives of um, noticing and tuning into just ordinary, mundane, everyday, happy moments. And they are there. You know, it's like, I think we're so, we can get so preoccupied with trying to fix what's wrong and what's off that we're going to, we miss these. So, I mean, things like, you know, right now, you know, how does it feel? You know, you might occasionally you have a sitting where your cushion is just right, you know, and, and there's no pain in the body. <laughs> and everything just kind of feels sort of good. It's kind of like the Goldilocks effect, you know. It's not too hard, not too soft. Everything's just right, you know. Uh, or there's times when the weather is like that. You know, we're kind of in this season now where you have a lot of days like this, don't you? It's like, <laughs> you know, it feels really good. It's it's not too hard. It's not too soft. It's not too hot. It's not too cold. You know, or or moments like say, when you uh, have enjoyed a good meal, and you haven't overeaten, and you're just satisfied and nourished, and you know you have this moment. It's like ah, you know, the thing is why why I'm saying why I'm emphasizing like notice these is because like we we don't we we not only don't notice them we don't stay there. We're, we're right away, because of the habit of grasping at pleasure, right away the mind is trying to figure out where we're going to get the next meal like that. Or what about the next sitting, if the cushion is going to be that soft, or, or something like that, you know? So, so this is like more the, like noticing these things and leaving it at that. Like just letting, just resting in it. Mm, like, you know, like that, kind of. Yes. It's nice. It feels good, and feel the the effect of that. You know, it has a tremendous um, softening and relaxing effect uh, on our whole being. You know, th- these moments do happen, but like one of my teachers, Ajahn Sumedho, says, you know, we're missing them because we're preoccupied with getting more and getting away from, and so that we actually develop this habit of mind that is never present never present with anything. And it, with that as a framework, then we're going to miss um, the, the goodness, miss the happy moments. You know, this, the, the Buddha tells us that this um, human birth is extremely fortunate, extremely fortunate, because it has a mix of pleasure and pain. 
because it's 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 got uh, both, you know. So, um, but but I think there's a there, there's a room for improvement in our getting that, you know, really really seeing that very directly. It's like I, I was remembering um, these bumper stickers that were out in the '60s, where you know it said, you know, poop happens, you know, <laughs> I'll use the use the S word, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and uh, I can remember at that time actually thinking that I would like to have a counter um, bumper sticker that says uh, pleasure happens, you know, happiness happens, joy happens, goodness happens, Th- these these happen as well. So noticing it is is a lot more important than we think. It's I I've noticed at least in my own practice that being attuned to the the happiness and the goodness of life um, is actually one of the has been for me one of the key players in um, developing samadhi. You know you you might not think that at the uh, outset, but just just consider what's going on um, in in this. You know, much of the anxiety or the the tension in our lives is about anxiety about not getting enough pleasure. You know, it's like we're, it, it makes us very nervous. You know, <laughs> it's like when it's not going to be good enough. It's not going to be it's not going to be good at all. You know, so there's there's a a, a, a tension in the mind. You know, and that that quest for that constant quest for pleasure I- is actually very very stressful. You know, so so what happens if you begin to get it, like through as we do through meditation and through observing happiness when it happens, that it does happen. You know that it is there. Can you feel that? It, what what happens? through that kind of noticing, it's like the mind isn't stupid. I mean, it starts to get it that this quest is ridiculous. You know, you don't need to, you don't need to expend a tremendous amount of energy looking for good things to happen. They happen on their own. And they usually happen when we least expect it, when we're not wanting it to happen. It's sort of like, you know, you get it, they just, well, let it go. Stop, just relax. And if you can feel this, I mean, it's, it's been part of my experience that it's just brought a tremendous, like, ah, you know, relax. It's going to be good. <laughs> I promise you, you can't, it's like you can't avoid pleasure. It's going to happen. You know, so, so if we get that, then there's this uh, settling in the mind. At least I feel, I just sort of relax. It'll it'll be here. It's just around the bend, you know. If it's not happening now, it'll happen, you know. So, so it's a key player in the development and the capacity to just relax and settle and be present with life, greet what what comes up. So it's very important with development of samadhi. And I've also noticed that just looking at this kind of ordinary, everyday, mon- what I'm calling sort of the mundane happiness of life. Um, is is also a key player in the development of wisdom because what you will notice over time as you notice this is that um there is pleasure and there is pain they're just they're constantly coming and going they're you know now it's this way now it's that way now it's this way now it's that way so you just consider when we talk about um 
insight meditation. You know, what are the insights of insight meditation? Well, you know, the, some of the, the primary insights are sort of getting it that there is difficulty. So you see that, you know, the more you settle and, and, and look at the constant stream, the parade of pleasure and pain, then that, that uh, without interfering with that, you know, without having to do something about it, as we're always trying to do, get more and get away from, um, get more pleasure and get away from pain. If that is just allowed to be seen, observed from a, a distance, if you will, then uh, we actually get it that there is difficulty. And that's a very important in insight, as I was saying earlier. But you're also getting it that it's um, not always that way, because there, there's this stream. So you're seeing the, the sort of like... I start to experience life as sort of like this rhythm, you know, <laughs> it's like a pulsing of, of highs and lows, you know, contraction and expansion, contraction and expansion. It, it's just this constant steady stream, you know, it's, it's, it's just part of being human and part of the, the human birth experience. And <coughs> but so you, we get it that um, it's a changing uh, phenomenal field, it's a changing world. and. If you keep observing from this non-interfering perspective, then we also get it that um, we're not making it happen, and we don't have a lot of control over it either. You know, I think I think in the unawakened state, at least for myself, we we can really delude ourselves into thinking that we can make pleasure happen. You know, it's it's interesting. Obviously, sure, you know, you can set the table and, you know, fix the meal and invite the right people and do all the things and, you know, but it might not happen. <laughs> Somebody could come in grumpy or pissed off or, you know, destroy the whole evening or, um, you know, it's not operating under these um, rules that we determine. It's not occurring when we want it to happen. Yeah, it arises out of conditions, but we're not controlling those conditions in the way that we think we are, you know. So just observing this kind of uh, experience of pleasure and pain and how they play out in our lives, you know, we'll gradually, in, in spite of ourselves in some ways, uh, begin to, to see these truths that uh, the Buddha um, stressed and emphasized, that if we can see these, then there's a just an, like the whole, and you, you just take the whole happiness thing up about a gazillion notches, you know. <laughs> it's like, oh, life is like this, you know. There's difficulty. You can't. It comes and goes. You can't control it. Let's just relax about the whole thing. So y usually in the unawakened state, what we're doing. Um, is is constantly uh, trying to manage and, and trying to control over this, but now you have the experience of completely letting go. And I love that. I mean, I don't know about you, but I would say that that for myself, that's been one of the primary fruits of practice. You know, it's just this is it. <laughs> this is life, and that wanting it to be some other way and the tremendous effort that one puts into having it be some other way. You, know, you can relax around all of that. You know, what, y you're kind of left with this feeling, what, 
well, what if the way we are is okay? <laughs> what if it's fine? Mm. All this craziness has been for naught, you know? I could just imagine being on my deathbed and getting it at the last minute, you know? It's like, oh, shoot. <laughs> I could have been happy. <laughs> you know, I could have been happy and I just uh, took it down another course, you know? So this, this, uh, this is, I think, is a really important part of it, is just noticing, um, noticing the happiness, noticing the pleasure, noticing the goodness that's already there. And then um, taking that to a, just another level of, uh, level of um, refinement or subtlety, I think it's also really important that we um, notice when um, we behave well. Notice when we're behaving well. You know, because this does happen too. <laughs> you know, it, it can be tricky as a, a Theravada Buddhist, you know, again, because, uh, or just, uh, you know, all Buddhists, I think, there's, there's such an emphasis in the practice on, um, say, overcoming the five hindrances, you know, these dim, dark, gloomy, unawakened states that we uh, all sometimes are at the mercy of, you know, that uh, I, I think, I know for myself, for many years, it was almost like I was just waiting for them to happen so I could pounce on them, you know, and so I could think ill of myself for uh, being greedy or hateful or, um, you know, confused or depressed or restless or agitated, you know, anxious and worried, you know, all of these um, states. Uh, you know, there's just so much emphasis on that, that, um, I, I don't know, maybe probably being fed a lot by this um, culprit called self-view and the sense of us having to do the practice, having to wake ourselves up, having to clean up our acts, you know, having to become better people, all of that. Um, what we end up doing is just going to war with states of mind that are already indicative of an inner war, you know? We're already suffering. And then we pick them up and smash ourselves for um, being in these states. You know, have, have you ever done this? <laughs> it's like, you know, it's, it's like, it's, I feel it like, it's almost like kicking myself when I'm down. You know, I'm already hateful, and now I hate that I'm hateful, you know? <laughs> You know, or I'm already agitated, and now there's something wrong with me for being that way. Or, you know, when my hindrance of choice, you know, being um, confused or lacking confidence, and now there's something wrong with me because I am that way. So, you know, just uh, I, I think what I'm, what I'm trying to get at here is um, there needs to be something to, to balance that out, you know, some... Uh, way to be begin to notice that um, this is not all that arises in us. You know, we can emphasize these states way too much, and then as a result, you know, you're missing these, this, it's like we're, we're these beautiful people. <laughs> 
were so nice. I mean, look at look at the people. I mean, the, you, you get up to these centers like this, you know, and it's like, you know, we're, we're the cream of the crop, you know. It was just like people that really care and are trying to wake up and trying to be good and trying to be wholesome. And and yet, you know, you just talk about, talk to each other a little bit and you find that there's this, you know, we all think we're these disgusting sons of guns, you know. It's, it's like the... the the tendency towards self-loathing is so great. And um, if, if we don't hold teachings like l the five hindrances correctly, they can actually become ways to make that worse. You know? Or, or things like the five, uh, the five uh, precepts. You know, we're, we're, we hold these up as standards of ways of behaving well. And yet, what we'll end up doing with those, and I've seen this so many times, is take them as, as, as a new and creative way to beat up on ourselves, you know, for, for certain behaviors. It, it, this is, I don't think this is at all what the Buddha had in mind, you know. It, it's so, I, I like to um, encourage and, and offer a, a sense of balancing that out by um, developing um, and um, really get, you know, developing and, and getting really good at a, a new habit of um, tuning in to the times when we're, we're being kind and good and loving and generous and harmless you know, and respectful all of these these beautiful qualities which we have which arise in they are, they are arising in us in the same way that the difficult states are arising but it's it's all a matter of focus and attention you know buddha talked a lot about wise attention it's like we're we're not attending wisely <laughs> you know attending um, too harshly and it looking at uh, not looking at the whole picture looking at the wrong things too much. So, uh, you know, what, uh, what can be really helpful is to um, take a teaching, uh, like the, the, the uh, precepts, for example, and use it as a way of, of looking at our goodness instead of looking at the places where we need to grow, you know. But this is interesting. I mean, uh, sometimes when I've talked about this, either in groups or one-on-one, -on -one, you know, this is the point where I start to feel people, you know, getting uncomfortable and um, a little fidgety and fussy, you know, <laughs> because it's like, uh, it's an interesting phenomenon, I, I've noticed, that uh, when you start to talk about our innate goodness, um, it's, it's almost like people don't want to go there. Like, like uh, I think maybe some of our earlier conditioning suggests or implies that, you know, that's conceited, you know, or, you know, for one way, one reason or another, um, you're not supposed to talk about what a good person you are. <laughs> you know, not supposed to notice that or, or feel that, you know, and I think, I think nothing could be further from the truth, you know. Um, but I, but I notice people that kind of uh, just like even when there is a, a, a very good or kind act, sort of um, diminishing that somehow, 
you know, maybe pointing to the fact that, well, I'm not that way all the time, you know, <laughs> or, or, or like, you know, it's uh, I've got mixed motives for being kind or good, you know. <laughs> I really want something from you, that's why I'm doing it, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. But, I, um, I mean, yeah, fair enough, okay, that we do do that, you know, and um, I think it's, let's just say, put that on the table and say, yeah, I mean, that's a given. We're not awake. I mean, that's, that's the whole reason why we're here and why we're going, uh, participating in this practice. You know, we're, it, it, this has actually been very, very helpful to, to contemplate the fact that we're not awake and make peace with that. <laughs> and that's not an ugly thing to say. That's actually sort of um, like just getting to getting to the bottom line. Okay, oh, you know, I'm not an arhant. I'm not a Buddha. I don't get it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it helps. It's very very helpful. So, like, that's a given. Can that be the baseline? And then you know you'll turn to both the goodness and the difficulty with a whole different heart when you get that. So, oh, good, oh, that's how, it, that's how goodness works. Oh, that's how difficulty works. Okay, you know, and, and uh, um, use it more skillfully. So I- it's really important. Um, one, of the, one of the things that, that I actually learned uh, sort of uh, in the last couple of years, just studying with the... Um, um, the teaching of the foundations of mindfulness. Uh, there's uh, in the third foundation of mindfulness. There's a couple of phrases that I don't know. I've read it many times, and I never they ne- never caught me like they did before. But um, one of them uh, is um, that you know one knows um, the liberated mind as the liberated mind, and one knows the unliberated mind as the unliberated mind. And it's such simple language, you know. <laughs> it's just right there. That that's part of seeing mental um, experience, seeing mental phenomena. And it's just like, oh wow. I mean, I don't know about you, but that just jumped out at me because it it said, it points to this bit of in our experience where we do have to know when we're free. I mean, you know, in the, throughout the suttas, there's all these moments where individuals who have just wake, uh, awakened, you know, uh, express, there's this pat phrase that they express, which is basically something like, done is what has to be done. This is the, your mind that's awake, you know. It's like, oh, <laughs> I know it, you know. And, and so we have to, we know that, but there's also this state of knowing it when it's not that way, and holding it neutrally, just being that. And that has helped me tremendously, just contemplating the fact of not being awake and, um, and just softening around that. So, oh, okay. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll just apply it myself to, to life and to the practice more fully because of that. It's funny because what it brings about, it, it's, I don't think anything, in, in terms of my own uh, practice and the, sort of the insights I've had and uh, really from the beginning, I don't think anything has made me more happy than recognizing that I'm ignorant. <laughs> it's a weird paradox. Can you feel that? 
it's like, oh, there's a delight in there. There's a relaxation in it. So a- anyway, by by way of all of this is by way of encouraging us to to look and. As I said, I, I like to use the um, the five precepts just as uh, as pointers um, to help in this process. Um, so uh, just to walk through, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because uh, um, I know that you're quite uh, knowledgeable about the precepts. But but maybe just considering this different slant um, when we approach working with them. So, like the first precept of not harming. Um, and uh, being kind or loving. Uh, so this involves noticing um, the fact, noticing the moments and the experiences when we are, when we are kind and loving and, and harmless. And noticing this um, and, and actually feeling the, the kindness, feeling the experience of that kindness. Now, you know, some people may find this difficult you know, and I find that um, it's uh, a little easier um, than, say, trying to be kind towards human beings. Sometimes it's easier to be to do it with animals first. You know, <laughs> that that just noticing the way that you are with animals, because we all tend to be really kind and gentle with animals, unless we've had bad experiences with them. But just noticing the kinds of things that we do to secure their safety and to keep them from harm whether it's, you know, taking insects out of the house or taking care of a, of a beloved pet or whatever, you know, how the heart um, is filled with kindness and loving feelings and harmlessness in the way that we're relating to the animal kingdom. Um, and this, um, you know, then you can no- begin to notice uh, how we do that with the people in our lives. Uh, certainly we all have loved ones. and um, in the busyness of life, you know, the doing of getting along and living together and, and what have you, we can actually notice, uh, mi- miss noticing all of the, the, the things that we do for each other. You know, especially if you're a parent. I mean, there's this constant uh, offering of um, kind uh, acts towards uh, our children, uh, towards our partners, you know. Um, just l- let that in. You know, if you can feel what I'm saying, just the, the, those little moments throughout the course of the day. Ooh, that felt good. Ooh, <laughs> that was nice. You know, or or looking at um, looking at things more globally, like say what's going on with the world. One, one of the places I really tend to notice my own harmlessness is when I watch the news. Now this can sound like a paradox, but. Um, uh, for example, like say recently with the uh, uh, the tsunami and uh, the way that we responded, the way that so many people responded to that, you know, what's going on in all of that? You know, why uh, most of us had a tremendous sorrow and concern for the welfare of other people uh, arising in our hearts quite spita- spontaneously, a lot of crying and whimpering, you know, and really wishing to um, reach out and to, to do something uh, about this disaster. You know, so consider just looking at what's going on in the heart. What, what's all that saying? What's happening there? It's like there's a, 
there's a harmlessness in this heart. You know, or if that wasn't there, I wouldn't be feeling this concern. You know, it, it's like there's a rub because people are suffering, people are in pain, and it's rubbing up against this thing in me that wishes uh, that everyone is happy, that wishes that people don't have to experience difficulty or violence or harm. You know, can you see that? So, so it's like contemplating, like feeling that, noticing what's happening in moments like that, and really letting that penetrate your psyche. This is what's happening. I am experiencing the depth and the fullness of my own harmlessness in moments like that. So looking, uh, looking at the, the, the second precept, the uh, precept not to take things, yes, but to also be generous and to offer. You know, this precept is really sort of an invitation to, to look at um, the, the constant changing in the heart of, of sort of like um, a contracting, you know, to become aware of the, the stinginess, you know, the fear, am I going to have enough? Am I going to get my needs met? What about me? You know, uh, and, and the alternate extending of oneself to um, care for and to offer, to, to uh, give to other people. You know, that, that um, whole experience of, uh, of, of dana, of generosity, is a, is a lot <coughs> more than, uh, you know, giving money or something like that. It's, a, it's really an, an extending of ourselves, you know, a reaching out. And so it's the, the idea with this one is to uh, begin, to, is to notice when one is doing that. You know, so there's a, I know like there's a lot of people, say, uh, in and around centers like this who are always giving of their time, giving of their energy, you know, and, and I think sometimes, you know, this can get, this be maybe because it can be kind of compulsive at times. Um, I know for myself, I, I didn't notice my own giving in that regard for a long time because it, it was so driven, you know, to do and to give. Uh, but uh, just over the years, as one softens, you begin to, to get it that, you know, we don't have to do that. You don't have to give of yourself. You don't have to um, be generous with your time, uh, donate your money or your services, or uh, give to things that you value, that you find important. You know, there's, no, there's no rule about that. <laughs> you know? We don't have to do that. And yet we are, and yet we do, and most of us do it just generally as a matter of course. So, so this is what I'm saying. Like, okay, notice that. What is that like? You know, what's going on in the, that kind of an experience? You know, tremendous happiness, tremendous delight in the heart, in the experience of shifting the uh, focus, if you will, from um, me to other, <laughs> the self-absorbed to um, what's needed 
in the world. And and then, uh, you know, you can experience, I'm getting, I can feel it, we're getting goosebumps right now, you can sort of feel it as like a, a rising up, you know. It comes from deep in the gut. You know, that, that gesturing, you know. So I, I think it's very important to notice it because um, we're doing that a whole lot more than we're aware of. I think uh, you know most people report a lot of surprises here when they start to contemplate and attend to their own goodness as it manifests as generosity. Yeah, we're 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 giving, <laughs> and it's like it, I think it's primary. I think it's so much a part of our nature, our true nature, as to be um, almost instinctive. You know, that, that, that movement to um, give for the welfare of others. To, to be not at all self-absorbed. And, and we need to see that so that we can be more that way. <laughs> so that it can grow. It's because it's delicious. I mean, it feels so good. And it's like if, if we miss it, then that inclining towards it uh, doesn't take place. You know? So it's like you feel it and, and, and soak in, soak in our own um, natural goodness. You know, the, the, the heart is, as I said, the heart is not a fool. The heart is, the heart knows. <laughs> that we like this, <laughs> that it feels good. So, the, the, you know, the same, the same with the other uh, precepts, you know, treating each other with respect and um, uh, not making objects out of each other. Uh, you know, I think this uh, third precept is often thought of a little too narrowly as only sexual um, misconduct, but rather uh, I like to think of it in a much broader sense of, you know, We've all noticed that tendency in ourselves to make objects out of each other. You know, it's just, uh, it's there. And it's like, you, know, you see things that we find attractive, whether it's a gesture or a look or whatever, and right away you create a person around it. But, it, and so, you know, just if you ever feel what that feels like when you're doing it, it's, it's, it's so unpleasant. You know, to you've got a human being standing right in front of you, you know, and you've just um, reduced them to a body part or something, you know, <laughs> or just uh, some something that you find attractive. So, you know, um, obviously we want to notice when we're not doing that, you know, when and and not just sexually, but I think just uh, the tendency to like you say, you know, you you can watch your mind doing this just in a conversation where. You say you meet somebody or you know somebody over a period of time and you've got them sized up. You know, you know who they are. And, thi and, and so the, and the mind will hold them there and create an object that has no fluidity, no flexibility. They, are, they can't grow within that image. You know, they can't be something else or somebody else. You know, you're just kind of locked in. This is who they are, you know. Well, what's it like to just back off of that uh, tendency and uh, let um, this person be, let this moment be, and receive it in its fullest anew? 
You know, it's not to say that we don't have to, you know, know that people have certain tendencies and maybe certain things are good to avoid, certain people are good to avoid. The Buddha did talk about that, you know, keeping the company of people who are skillful and helpful. You know, so it's not that we don't do that, but it's this other thing. You know what I'm talking about. You know, we, we just, uh, we, we, we lock on and make objects and keep each other there, you know. We hate having it done to us, you know, but we do it to each other. We do it to others, too. So so just noticing that, noticing what it's like not to do that. And and really, maybe sometimes initially, at least for me, I had to really work at that, <laughs> you know. I had to actually actively <coughs> yank myself out of the times when I was doing it uh, so that I could experience what it was like to not do it. Just using speech well and noticing the times when we refrain from unkind speech. I like watching this one because it, it, you can actually see this a lot, especially if you've been working with the precepts for some time. Um, I don't know about you, but I've noticed uh, that um, sometimes I'll actually, you know, I can feel the thought, the about to, the, 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 the sort of the unkind thought or the unkind speech bubbling up to the surface, you know, <laughs> and it's like, and then, and then it, on its way up, something notices it, and it's almost like somebody throws the switch on the tracks, and uh, it never gets said, and it doesn't get articulated, you know, because um, this process of noticing it and having learned the, about the harm there, it just, it, it gets deflected, and it gets thrown out before, um, it even arises fully to the surface. That's the kind of thing we want to notice when we're, we're uh, skilled enough to be deflecting the unkindnesses, the potential unkindnesses. And noticing what it feels like to, to um, have a clear head. You know, a lot of this, a lot of the times, like say right after a retreat or after a sitting or something like that, just to tune in to those moments or, or you know, um, noticing, you know, we've all seen what it's like, say, to maybe eat too much or drink too much or smoke too much or watch too much TV, you know, all of that stuff that makes the mind um, unclear and contracted. You know, well, w well, what about the times when it, we're not doing that? You know, you really let that in um, so that the mind can begin to incline that way more and more. So I, ha I have a lot of fun with this. I, I hope you do too. <laughs> it's good, good stuff. And, uh, and, and just before leaving this this um, topic, I, I wanted to offer a few thoughts on um, um, one of the the things that we chant uh, regularly um, in in um, a chant called the sharing of blessings. Um, it's usually done at the end of a retreat or at the end of, at the monastery. We do it at the end of every day, where you know the idea is that. Um, Good things are happening, and you don't want to be piggy about them. You know? <laughs> so you kind of extend um, the goodness that you feel and um, share it, uh, extend it out to the world so that um, it can be enjoyed by others. And um, But one of the lines in that chant is particularly beautiful. Uh, it says, um, uh, it, it, 
it, it, the wish for people is that they may soon enjoy the threefold bliss. You know, the threefold bliss and realize Nibbana. And, uh, you know, so doing this, one often gets asked, well, what's the threefold bliss? You know, that sounds good. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> what is it? What are we talking about? Um, so uh, he's, he's talking about uh, a certain um, happiness that manifests at uh, three different levels, you know. Um, and you'll, you notice this through the months and years of practice. You will see the manifestations for yourselves. So the, the, the first level is the, the worldly or human level of bliss. That there is a, a, a happiness just in being born a human being. You know, I've talked a little bit about that, but um, I mean, there's a lot in the suttas about this kind of happiness. And I think you might be surprised, for example, to know that um, the Buddha talked a lot about um, a, a very worldly happiness that comes from, um, say, um, earning a good living, having enough to be able to care for your loved ones, you know, to take care of your mother and father, to take care of your children. And, and one of the suttas actually says, having enough to, to buy your wife jewelry. I like that one. <laughs> I mean, he actually talks about, I mean, some of these were real surprises to me, you know. He's talking about like the happiness of being free of debt, you know, uh, this kind of thing. But um, he also talks about uh, the happiness uh, in this life, in this human existence, of enjoying the fruits of um, one's past wholesome karma. So that, you know, one might notice that, uh, you know, one's life is relatively free of pain or doesn't have a lot of violence in it. Uh, there, there isn't a lot of difficulty. There's a certain sense of, of, of ease uh, within it. Something like this. Um, so that, uh, you know, these are all fruits of past uh, wholesome karma. But uh, I think the primary one and of greatest concern to us here is the, the, the fact that we're all here in this room. You know, the fact that um, everyone here I is uh, uh, enjoying uh, a very, very uh, um, happy fruit of past skillful karma, which is that um, we have the, the good sense to turn to the Buddhist teachings and to endeavor to awaken. awaken. Um, this is said to be extremely rare, you know. So, so I mean, if you ever want to contemplate the good fortune <laughs> of uh, being born a human being, I'd say just re realize that, look around the room and see where you are, you know. <laughs> this is very, very, very positive, very good um, um, outcome of past wholesome actions. Um, just noticing the blessings in our lives. So um, at this level, um, uh, so, so there's those, and those I found a little bit surprising because I, I would have thought that uh, when we were talking about worldly or human happiness that we were talking primarily about um, uh, the happiness of um, living by the precepts. You know, <laughs> it just feels so good, you know, and, and uh, one can only enjoy that as a human being. Um, you know, being able to see the difference between 
selfish and selfless motives and getting it, you know, and and endeavoring to, to live a better life because we've seen it. So the whole objective here, the really uh, one of the primary objectives of the human birth is to get the law of karma, you know, to see it for ourselves. And this is done primarily through uh, working with the precepts so that we actually see that skillful actions bring happy results and unskillful actions bring unhappy results. And that is, is known at a very, um, the very core of our beings. So that, you know, from that point on, once that you know that, then um, you're also going to experience a tremendous amount of uh, peace and relaxation and ease in life. So samadhi begins to develop very much um, as a result of skill with working with the precepts. I think a lot of people who endeavor to practice meditation are trying to um, develop their samadhi and not having much success at doing so, <laughs> you know. Uh, you know, maybe don't quite get it, the, the role that uh, living well plays in establishing the foundation for doing that. You know, you, you, you look at the stress in the mind, you know, you, it, it's all coming from not behaving well. So, you know, if you want samadhi, then we have to clean up our acts, right? That's where it comes from. So the, the, the worldly happiness, then, is um, just a, a case of uh, seeing um, the happiness that is possible through this human birth, the happiness of living well, the happiness of samadhi, and the potential for freedom. Uh, the second uh, celestial happiness is kind of like taking that to a higher standard. You know, it, it's, a, it's like you, you up the ante a bit, uh, take uh, the experience of living well um, to more refined levels. And it doesn't have to do with like living by more precepts, although some people would say that that's what it is. It's actually more a case of um, living, uh, t- taking this to uh, much more subtle levels. So you know, looking at the, the quality and the depth with which one is living one's life. So that there's a certain happiness that comes, say, from... I think that the, the subtlety in here is that there's a, there's a happiness that comes from seeing one's self move into harm's way and pulling oneself out. But there's an even greater happiness that comes from um, developing the capacity to not even go in there in the first place, you know. And that's what we refer to as sort of, it's like it's heaven. <laughs> it's celestial happiness. You know, have you ever had the experience of just uh, going, ah, oh, you know, I didn't do it. <laughs> I didn't go there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> over the months and years of practice, you notice that these, these uh, impulses are being uprooted. You know, sometimes you have this feeling like, uh, wow, you know, right now, this is a situation that would have made me crazy. And, and you sort of, I, I, you know, you're sort of going, where is it? <laughs> it's gone. It's not here. You know, that, that experience of being free. You know, this is a tremendous happiness that comes at this level. And Buddha said that, that people who have developed... Um, um, the, the, the uh, celestial bliss um, 
they have a fragrance about them. You know, he says this in the Dhammapada, that they enter the room and, you, you know, it's almost like a perfume has entered the room and everybody is drawn to it. They want to smell it, you know, <laughs> they want to be by it. They want to soak it up, you know. That we, we have that kind of air about us. Be, and you can feel that. It's almost like a Venus flytrap, you know. It's, it's, it's this, like you're not going there. Isn't that attractive? I mean, isn't that what we all want for ourselves? And when we see it in other people, it's like a magnet, you know. That's why we appreciate uh, uh, teachers like uh, uh, some of the ones we've known. And then it, finally, the, the, the third bliss um, takes it up even uh, to a couple more notches, and this is the, the bliss or the happiness of, of Nibbana. So that it's said that, for example, uh, when we're talking about an arahant, an arahant is someone um, who cannot, absolutely cannot, behave unskillfully. It does not happen. The, the, that tendency has been so completely uh, cleared out and uprooted. I mean, there's some debate even among the scholars and among the teachers that, that um, you know, at this level, um, that it, it's not clear whether the impulses stop arising and, uh, or if they arise and you just don't go there. You know, there's... Uh, definitions of what Nibbana actually is are, are very broad, <laughs> you know, so, um, you know, you can uh, take that as a koan and maybe examine it and question it for yourselves, but um, for myself, I mean, in a way, it, it's, it's like it doesn't matter, you know, <laughs> it's, it's like what we're talking about is a state of being where um, goodness prevails, you know, happiness, kindness, uh, respect, all of these fabulous qualities are the standard. It's just just the way that one is. And it's it said that at this level, one cannot create any more unskillful karma. And um, so that one may still be alive, but one's actions are completely functional and um, imbued with concern for the welfare of others. You know, I mean, that, you know, Ajahn Amaro talks about Buddha being the ultimate pleasure seeker. He says, you want happiness, man? <laughs> Let me tell you about happiness. <laughs> this is where it's at. It doesn't get any better than this. You know, that, that one should actually just consider this. Like, it's almost like you're, you're completely connected with uh, your true nature. It, it's, and everything that, um, all of the, the grasping and the craving the, the, the self-absorbed concerns about what about me and what's in it for me and what, what am I going to get and if I'm going to have enough and all of that, you know, that is the difficulty. Those are the obstacles. And so that what happens then is that as they are overcome, as they are, as we are re- released from those, uh, then it's like happiness is what's left. It's interesting because we think of happiness as something that we have to strive to get. And really the Buddha turns that on its head completely. He says it's not like that. It's, it's your nature. It's your natural state. If you would just get everything else out of the way, you will enjoy it. 
You know, it's like the, that goodness um, expresses unobstructed. That, that is the happiness of Nibbana. I, I like that. One of my teachers calls it, he says, it's the default. You know, <laughs> happiness is the default. <laughs> it's what's left <laughs> when, you're, when everything else is gone. Yeah? Mm-hmm. So I hope some of this has been uh, helpful. Uh, it's always an interesting <coughs> process uh, for me, and uh, I, I love to share uh, some of the things that I've learned. And uh, if any of it is helpful, I'll be very, very happy about that. <laughs> I'd like to um, stick around and see if you have um, some questions, but I know that at this point, I think the standard is to sort of say, well, you know, if some people would like to go, <coughs> You're free, free to go, and if you'd like to stay, I'm happy to stay as long as you have some questions. And I'd like to thank you for your attention and your care. <laughs> yeah. So, any anybody have any thoughts or reflections of your own? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a question, mm-hmm. and I need to preface it with this is my only second time here, so mm-hmm. I'm very much a novice. I'm not a novice of meditating in general, but um, I was intrigued by something you said earlier about um, you made a statement about not reducing another human being to a sexual form. Mm. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, because of this um, tendency in the heart or mind to sort of uh, seek pleasure and uh, grasp at those kinds of moments then what will happen, and this will happen particularly with people that we find attractive, is like something, they, somebody says something, or there's a gesture. I, I, I've noticed at one time when I was really attracted to this guy, and he was just kind of, he, he just offered something in a very gentle way. And I, I just got all excited, you know. <laughs> it was like, oh, wow, you know. And, and the mind will grab at a, a moment like that that feels good, and then actually I could watch it construct this man before my very eyes. It's like, like I cre- created him, you know? And did you ever have the experience where you, you actually create somebody? And you, this happens a lot on retreats where you never, meet, you never meet the person. You haven't talked to them. You haven't even made eye contact, right? And, and is there something they... Some, maybe it's their socks, you know? It could be anything. 
and and you create this whole being, and then at the end of the retreat you meet them, and they aren't anything like that. <laughs> That's what I mean. It's it's like you know, but we're doing that all the time, you know. And I know for myself when I first started <laughs> seeing this, oh, I was just distraught. I started calling up my old friends and and apologizing, you know, because um, I, I had created them. And it's like you, you create a person and then, then you expect them to be that. You know, no wonder relationships are so difficult, you know. It's all happening up here. So it's like, to me, it's like, bring it down here. Just stay with them. Stay, re- keep receiving who they actually are. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I think certainly that, I mean, I would say look and see what's going on for you when that's happening. And, and uh, I think probably you're spot on, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a lot of it. Um, and I think it can go um, a lot deeper than that. It's like, um, if you can feel this, it's like, oh, you know, you, let's say one behaves badly. Even if we're not fully letting that in, there's a way that we know that, you know? And so, you know, it's like uh, the heart knows this is off. And if you could still frame it, what happens in the moments following that is that the unawakened mind seeks to get rid of that in the only way that it knows how which is to pull out one of the five hindrances as a coping mechanism, as a strategy. So it will hate it. Right? So what you end up, what we end up doing, this is fascinating to watch, is actually hating our own um, uh, unskillfulness. So it's actually, um, you know, even deeper than sort of psychological or social conditioning. It's a, it's a, it's the mind. It's the way the unawakened mind works. But I think that's interesting because what it actually points to, if you can penetrate that, is like you're actually, if you can look at that in a different way, you're actually seeing the fact that your true nature is kind, or else you wouldn't be hurting. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you bet. It's I mean, it's all in the looking. It's all there to see. Yeah. Yes. 
the, the five hindrances. Oh yeah, they're they're fascinating. Um, the the and this is, and, and one way to hold these, by the way, is to get it that these are the strategy. I like to call them the strategies of the unawakened mind. This is what the unawakened mind turns to as remedies or solutions, responses to pleasure and pain, difficulty, and uh, so that we have um, longing or desire in the heart. So that the craving after things that we find um, make us feel good. Um, aversion uh, or ill will or hatred, that's the second one. Just that whole energy of you know, pushing things away. Um, the third one is um, sloth and torpor. So this is kind of like the energy. It's like if, if you're not grasping at it and you're not pushing it away, then most of what we're, what we're usually doing uh, is like sleeping it off, you know. <laughs> it's, like <laughs> it's just, just not, you know, not even connecting, not even feeling it, right? That's a, that's a, that's a remedy. That's what we turn to, you know. Become depressed or the slow, slow things down. Um, and the fourth one is uh, like restlessness, agitation, worry, anxiety. This is huge in our lives. You know, it's a, it's a mind that is either trying to deal with something that's pleasant and getting more, trying to get more of it, and you get all like this about it, or um, trying to get away from something that's unpleasant and you get like this about it, you know. You, you know, it's like a, it's a restlessness. You're not, you know, there's not a, there's not a, Receiving things the way they are, and then the the last one is um, doubt and confusion, so skeptical doubt. Um, technically, it's not getting it that the practice works and that the Buddha understood, and uh, but in a in a more um, sort of colloquial way, it's the, the the pattern of mind that just doesn't trust life. Just doesn't trust things the way that they are, and so it keeps um, building. Uh, it, it, it's a, a state of um, re- resistance and rejection to it. It's like get, becoming confused and down, questioning all of the time. You know, not not uh, lighting on something and staying with it. Yeah, it's fascinating. Isn't this kind of where we live? Yeah. Uh, scent, desire. Uh, longing, yeah, yeah. Hi, I'll get to the oxygen oxygen mm. question. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, I can recognize when my mind will do that to somebody else, but when someone's doing that to you, um, and the example that came to mind when you were talking about it was when my parents were sitting in the Yeah, well, the more the more that you see yourself do that, the more this is this is a fabulous uh, way that practice works. The the more you tune into when it what it feels like when you're doing that to others, the more you simultaneously you will notice it more objectively when people are doing it to you. 
And, and it's, it's not just noticing what it feels like when you're doing it to others, but no, doing that in a neutral way. You gotta get it like, oh wow, wow, I really, look what I just did with that guy. I just, you know, did da 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 da, or I just slammed him, or whatever. You know, it, uh, I find that the more that I'm at peace with that in myself, then the more objective I am when it's coming at me. You know, and, and you really get it that, you know, you know, sometimes you're the jabber, sometimes you're the jabby, you know. It's just the way it is. And you can learn from both of them. So you can learn by watching your parents when they do that. You learn how it feels to be on the receiving end of that, so you learn not to do it anymore, right? And uh, you learn um, the, and it's kind of sad. You, you kind of see like, wow, they, they can't see how their harmful behavior is distancing, distancing them from me. I actually think they're trying to get closer. But isn't it funny that the way they're going about it is affecting me like this? You know, it's like, because it's not, it's not doing what they think it's doing. You know, it actually, it actually makes you feel further apart, doesn't it? Yeah. So, you know, and you can have some, and that, that right there, if you can do all of that with some objectivity, compassion will be right there. Because that is wisdom. That is understanding. And they live together. Whenever you're getting it, you'll feel compassion. So there was an acceptance in there or something that you said? Yeah. An an acceptance of... Yes. In trying to observe it in part, if you can maybe later impartially observe it. Yeah, and sometimes, uh, sometimes give it to yourself. It's not always so easy to do on your feet. Sometimes you have to take those kinds of moments later on to your cushion. Okay, okay, now wait a minute. What happened? She said that, and I went, I did this, and re-enter it and feel it. You can get more objective when it's not actually happening, <laughs> you know, when you're away from it. Can you try that? Yeah. 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 Oh, you can, uh, yo, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't think there's anything in the Buddhist teachings that says, you know, he doesn't get involved at that level. Like, it just really, um, what you do about it uh, and when you do it is kind of, um, I mean, a trial and error, you know. Um, you, can cu- you can say something or not, you know. Sometimes I find, um, I find more and more it's interesting. Um, in my own practice, that uh, I'm less inclined to do anything about it because it's not where it's happening anyway. You know, not that you become a doormat or that um, you don't concern yourself with affairs that are worth addressing, but that you always do this practice too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to say it again? Yeah. If, whether one could address it or simply work with oneself to feel compassion. Yeah. It's tricky. Yeah. Yes. To, to join that on what we were talking about, I just want to share that when someone puts me in a box, 
Yeah. 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 Well, it's it's tricky, and um, oh gosh, there's so much in this. This is a whole evening in itself, really. But <laughs> um, uh, a couple of things that come to mind is that. You know, I've been noticing what I call sort of my adolescent, you know, get out of here, I don't like you response, you know, when when people um, behave badly towards me. Um, and then, I, you know, you know how you used to do when you were 15? I said, just write them off, you know. I'm never, you know, you're not, you're not my friend, you know, <laughs> uh, that kind of thing. And, you know, I want to be careful because sometimes, you know, the jab is good enough and... It's clear enough what's going on here that that's ex- exactly the what thing you want to do, you know. So I want to put that on the shelf and say that's fine sometimes. But on the other hand, um, uh, it's like I think what happens over the years of practice is that you get better at receiving imperfect moments, you know, and imperfect exchanges. And there's so many things that I say without thinking or you know about you know, so insensitive things that I can say to people and and hurt them you know and it's like I would like people to give me the benefit of the doubt as much as they could you know it's like um, I mean sometimes some of the greatest pain in my life has been like you know could you please not hold me to that you know could you please just you know let that go could that be an imperfect moment that we both know was imperfect and, and that I could have done a lot better and I didn't? And, and um, I, I find one of the fruits of practice over the years is just a, cer- a certain resilience, you know, around moments like that. And it's delightful to, to let, let it go. Certainly if you get enough of them, then you've got some data and you might want to reconsider that. But, you know, how we, I mean, let's, we're not awake, <laughs> you know. There's going to be a lot of those moments in life, especially if you're living with each other, you know. So, you know what I mean? So, I, I you know, it's just c- contemplate the whole range. Yes. Kick me when I'm down. <laughs> keeps going. Yeah. I felt a real connection, not only with you, but with this group. It was like mm-hmm. a, the falls. Mm. We all chuckled. And very quickly, it came to me that there's a flip side that I've noticed now. And that is... Mm-hmm. 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 And I praise myself for 
<laughs> yeah. Whoa, that's interesting. <laughs> I would e- comment. You want to comment about that? Or I would. I would. I would tend to um, err on the side of praising yourself <laughs> because the tendency in the other direction is so great. And also to look at that with the, the proper understandings. A lot of times that uh, sort of inflated feeling or that um, uh, praising ourselves is actually just um, the mind is always articulating to itself what is happening. And what just happened felt good. And so the, the next thing that comes into the mind is like, ooh, you're doing great, you know? And it's it's sometimes it's not it's not more than that. So you don't you 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 take it with a grain of salt. You know, yeah, okay, hear yourself praising yourself, but don't believe it so much. But feel the feeling that it's talking about. That because that's where the action is. It's not in the praising yourself. Uh-huh. Yeah. And now there's an equanimity of wow. You know, like, and then I go over to the negative or the positive and I see the judgments. Oh yeah. And yeah. So it balances it, itself out. But it also lets me relate with people like I did when you made that comment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's lovely. <laughs> It really is. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah. Um, I'm with you all the way on needing to remember, you know, that you need to uh, wear pleasure of mm-hmm. and uh, satisfaction and uh, dwell there, you know, and notice it. Mm. Yes. Yeah, 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 and I, I think ultimately you're right. You, you you transcend both extremes, and that's where it's leading. But in the process, you know, how does that process unfold? And uh, you know what I'm what I'm pointing to um, tonight, and as part something that needs to enter into our practice, is uh, sort of a uh, a balancing, you know. There's not there's not a lot of balance in the practice. It can be too too gloomy and too heavy, and uh, a, a lot of waking up has to do with um, feeling what it feels like to be kind and good, as opposed to being uh, aberrated and deluded. 
You know, it's, it's like both of those are, are part, like the, there's two wings, if you will, of the same bird. And, and uh, waking up happens through both. And I think we, we do the one, forget the other. You know, so, so all that we're saying is like, use this mechanism that we're born with, this capacity to feel. Um, use it in the interest of our uh, enlightenment, not in the interest of sensory gratification. So what, what I'm saying is that uh, this capacity to feel makes it possible for us to, um, it's like the, the, the instinctive tendency is to go towards more of what feels good and to get away from what doesn't feel good. This is the exact mechanism that is engaged and operative in waking up. It's just uh, at a higher level, you know. So incline towards kindness and move away from aversion, you know, from uh, hatred or whatever. Uh, We want to do that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Celestial. <laughs> the time collapses, yeah. I came back to the moment and I even noticed that, you know, ahead of time that it's going to yeah. feel like this. Um, but it feels incredibly unskillful to, um, to notice. Oh, that yeah. Yeah, but get used to that. <laughs> 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 no, really. You have to get, that's, that's actually, you're doing great. That is actually right where you want to be. And uh, it's a very interesting phenomenon. Uh, Pema Chodron talks about this a lot, and she says that, um, she calls it the in-between place. It's like you're awake enough to know the harm and to see what's going on, but not awake enough to stop doing it. And that's where, we're, that's where you're going to be the rest of your life. So it's like, get used to it. You know, it's actually a good place to be, because it's like that capacity to see it is so important even if you can't stop yourself from doing it and and that that doesn't sound reasonable you know that doesn't jive with a lot of our earlier conditioning because and and I think it's our tendency to smack ourselves around you know it's like you know stop doing it but it's because we don't get it that that's not how we stop doing it you can rant and rave and kick your feet up and, you know, just be pissed off and guilty all you want. That behavior is not going to stop until you feel the experience of being in it. 
And all of that reactive stuff is actually part and parcel of what keeps you doing it. It's, it's, it's the gra- it, grasping manifests that way as well. So it's fascinating. I mean, the, the Buddha turns this whole stuff on its head. It's, it's, and, and, you, and, it, and let's give it to ourselves. It takes time to develop uh, faith in this process. Because it doesn't, it defies logic. That um, it defies self-view, let's put it that way. It defies this sense that I have to fix myself. Um, it's actually saying in no uncertain terms, you are, there is nobody fixing you. You are not doing it. It happens through mindfulness and relaxation. It all comes back to that. So it's like, you know, the, all you have, I mean, I find that incredibly refreshing. All you have to do is pay attention, relax and pay attention to what it feels, and, and to do that without any judgment about what it is that you see yourself do. You know, that's, it has to have that quality. And so I was talking to somebody earlier about what, one of the things I'm playing with a lot in my own practice is when I see some of these patterns, man, and there's some doozies, you know, and I just can't stop it, you know. Uh, and, and I just give it a lot of line, give it a lot of slack, and endeavor to, um, and it's not indulging it. This is what I think we're afraid of. You're not indulging it. You can't help doing it. You know, it's 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 happening. It's happening. So relax around it, and pay attention to what it feels like to be doing it. It's weird, isn't it? But that's how it's happening. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then so it cuts, we don't further complicate and bring more effects on Exactly. Exactly. So whatever the behavior, and this, I mean, this is, you know, very rich, I promise you. It's like, um, can you greet the behavior? with a heart that does not take exception to it. That's a, it's, a, it's a paradox, because of course we're trying to get free of the behavior. But what we're saying is that the Buddhist teachings come at it from a decidedly different angle. They don't go about it using the usual methods. The usual methods are to smack ourselves around and get ourselves out of it, you know? And it, this is not doing that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And and yeah. And 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 let's say let play this out this way. Like that kind of experience, you know. You know, you, you have to get down dirty into how it feels to be caught in it. To be what? Caught in it. 
And so, like, you know, have a good cry and um, acknowledge the experience of defeat in the presence of it. Relinquish your hold on this behavior that you don't like. I promise you, it's very, very effective. You just, you know, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I have just sat with total uh, defeat, you know. (laughs) I can't do it. (laughs) That's what you want. (laughs) Get that thing out of the way that thinks it has to do it. Love it to death. <laughs> Love it to death. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Oh, welcome. Yeah. Yes. Spot on. You've got it. It's, this is exactly what we're talking about. Like allowing, it, it's like, you know, what's the sense in not, in getting pissed off or not forgiving what's going on, whether it's something coming at you or something that's arising within you? It doesn't make sense in terms of actually getting free of the behavior. You know, the only thing that makes sense is compassion and forgiveness. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, this is what it feels like to be an unawake human being. You know, oh, poor baby. That's, you see, it does not come up. But if you hold that, then compassion is right there. Oh, you're suffering. You know? <laughs> it's good stuff. That Buddha, man, he nailed it, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, shall we call it a night? Thank you again. Oh, one more? One more? Or does? Oh, why don't you come up here then afterwards and we can talk. Okay. Thank you. Have a good life until I see you again. Yeah. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.